Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero, and brought to you on the Heroes Media Group Network. This episode is an instant classic. This American, United States Marine, NCO, is doing something that what I what I think is pretty incredible. He is also known as the saluting Marine. He gives people hope. He inspires. He motivates. You are going to like his story, and hopefully you will want to take part in what he does in front of the Capitol on Pennsylvania Avenue every year for over a decade. Tim Chambers, and thank you for listening. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all before they burn it down. Our guest for this episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio is United States Marine Corps Staff Sergeant and Veteran Tim Chambers, also known as the Saluting Marine. Tim learned about hard work early in his life, working on his grandfather's Christmas tree and strawberry farm in Oregon. In high school, his enthusiasm earned him the position as the Silverton High School Silver Fox mascot. He carried his motivation and his high energy into the United States Marine Corps. Later, and because of medical limitations, they, which kept him off the battlefield, Tim would go on to answer the call of duty as a first responder at the Pentagon on 9-11. There's no doubt that he cares a lot about America. He inspires others to honor those who went before us, both in the military and on the civilian side. He encourages all of us to take a stand, to make a difference, to do something that makes America a better country. I'm honored and I'm humbled to have him here today on Straight Out of Combat Radio. Welcome, Tim. Yeah, it's great to have you here, man. I think we played telephone tag for a few few weeks, but I finally got you here now. Really interested to hear your story. Um, you know, before we get going to all the great things you've been doing lately, actually the last decade, I think, talk to us a little bit about growing up in Oregon. What was that like and who were your mentors? Well, um, my teachers were definitely there for me. Um, my football coach, I bought into the program. Uh, my grandfather on the farm, my father was a Vietnam veteran and Marine, and he wasn't really around for us, but I never held that against him. I was just there as the oldest of six kids. So I was always there for my mother at an early age. Uh, she had all six of us under a five-year, about a six-year time span. So I couldn't be the older brother with the iron fist, but it had to be the bigger brother that was persuasive. And um, I enjoyed high school. Uh, I enjoyed, you know, my teachers. I knew if I didn't get the grades, I couldn't go to the dance. If I didn't get the grades, I couldn't play in the football game. My mom would yank me off the 50-yard sideline without hesitation. Just, you know, so I had consequences growing up. Even though I didn't have, like, both parents, um, I found a lot of mentorship within you know, family and my mother, a very strong woman. I mean, she raised six kids just about single-handedly. Then my father, John, I say my father, 
I took his last name out of respect before high school, came in the family with six kids, and he supported my mother and worked for my grandfather on the farm. So I got to grow up on the farm, picking strawberries, pulling Christmas trees in and out of the field, harvesting whole nine yards, canning stuff. So I got to see the tail end of society where everyone picked strawberries to get by. I picked berries, worked for grandpa to get school clothes money, to get a haircut. You know, it was, um, I was very fortunate to have that upbringing. Well, would you say that, you know, you mentioned your father was a Marine. Was that an impact on you going in the Marine Corps? Um, I didn't really get to learn much about what he did because um, we just didn't get to connect growing up. It was more about what my grandfather relayed on the farm with hard work, being proud of who you are, proud of what you do, tucking your shirt in, you know, having certain customs and courtesies that I taught was taught from grandpa that carried over into the Marine Corps. And that's what the Marine Corps emulated on top of the physical fitness requirements. I was up for that challenge, you know, always being in sports on the side of being the mascot in high school. Well, tell me, you know, what the mascot was like. Tell us about the Silver Fox. Well, um, the band, the drama teacher would, would be the band, would be the uh, mascot. And then one of my friends said, Tim, you should go do that. I, he let me jump in the costume and I ran around the track and I would, you know, dunk the basketball, play the trombone through the mascot costume. I just motivated people, completely captivated our conference to the part, the point that cheerleaders would have me sign their programs for them. And I kind of became a mascot. And that's kind of what I was growing up as the oldest of six. So that kind of carried with me throughout my life, you know, up to today. Um, but like the, just in making people smile, making people laugh, motivating people, inspiring people. Um, it just started really early. And, and I got to convey that through being the fox. You know, maybe I was kind of shy outside of the mascot costume, you know, very shy. But when I got in the costume, I could just let loose and, and whip it on. And even out, you know, when I made it to varsity sports, eventually I would play the trombone in band. So I would be in the marching band playing the trombone at halftime instead of going to the, uh, the locker room. And one night I played uh, happy birthday to my girlfriend in the grandstands. And then the team came out and I ran the kickoff back for a touchdown. That's actually pretty cool, man. You know, I, you know, I've often, those mascots, first of all, I know it's warm in those costumes, but you know, you're totally correct, man. The mascots really get the crowd pumped up. And, and, and so you're actually the first mascot that I've ever spoken to. I mean, I've seen lots of mascots, but pretty interesting, man. I, I love that story. And, you know, of course you carried that on into the Marine Corps. Did you, did you go to the Marines right after high school or what did you do? Pretty much. Um, I spent, you know, because I had some friends that were underage and the parents kept like pushing it down the line. And, and my friend Nathan Linkoff, um, he became a grunt in the Marine Corps. We went in the Marine Corps together. It was a few months. I'm like, Nathan, let's go. And Nathan was doing construction. He's like, hey, it's getting cold outside. Let's go. Then he called my friend Andy. Hey, Andy, let's go. We all went to boot camp. Several more friends went, followed us. Pretty much, you know, like I just didn't see the motivation and the teamwork at the manufactured housing company that I was working at pretty much one of my first jobs off the farm. I didn't see that teamwork. I didn't see any kind of family orientation. Um, and that's what I was missing from the sports. So that kind of carried on over into the Marine Corps. 
Well, tell us about the Marine Corps. What was it like when you when you got the boot camp? I'm really bad at like remembering combinations. So that didn't help me very well through the three months of trying to remember the combination for my lock for the foot locker. Um, the, the recruiters really did kind of set me up for understanding the mayhem that I was about to walk into. Thank the Lord. I was physically fit to be able to withstand that part of it. So I could actually focus on trying to learn what they were trying to put into us over 220 years of, um, you know, traditions, customs and courtesies, um, just they have to slam all that into three months. So I was really nervous. I'll have to admit that. And the drill instructors thought I was a rock, but it, they said I was a hard worker, though. I always tussled everything, and that's how I would have always done. Um, just really bought into the program. You know, the coaches, it's all in the attitude. Well, the senior drill instructor, you know, he was like the father figure. So once again, I had another father figure in my life. So that was great. And I was a fast runner, so I wasn't really picked on as much as some of the other recruits. Uh, I did make mistakes, you know, but um, but I got stronger. I paid for it, got stronger. You know, muscle memory really does apply in life all the way throughout, and it's a good thing. And I'd rather, you know, get some muscle memory going on than, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword these days, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, you so, know? yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Is there any one thing that happened in boot camp? that you know you reflect on now years later that was a uh, a life-changing event well um i got sick going to second phase that's when we go out and do the marksmanship and all the field training and i got dropped my for my platoon so my buddies i went in the the platoon with two friends they graduated two weeks before me so i was stuck at the depot longer that was pretty um you know i asked the drill instructor if 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 I could go visit them at Christmas, cause we're out in the field at Christmas. He said, absolutely. So then when he said, Merry Christmas recruits, and he said, you can have the rest of the day off. And he walked out of the squad bay. Then the other drill instructors rushed out and said, okay, we have a recruit that doesn't feel like he's part of the family. So we want to make sure that recruit chambers knows he's part of the family. So we got on the line and we marked our 782 gear and everyone hated me after that. And I slept very lightly in the rack after that, because they thought that I took away their Christmas, you know, downtime when there probably really wasn't any downtime in the schedule. You know what I mean? So, you know, not being able to graduate with my friends, that was pretty powerful. And I still remember my original platoon saying that we would say every night before we hit the rack, over 20, 20 years of name-taking, butt-kicking, death instruction, put more in, broke more off than any other man in their land. Platoon, 1,074, senior drill instructor, staff sergeant winners, high speed, low drag. And I only had that for like a phase and a half to memorize, but I remembered it and I've never forgot it. So, you know, that was probably the most momental like thing that, that happened to me in, in boot camp was being dropped, but I didn't give up and I pressed on and graduated. Good for you. You know, that's a good story. Uh, so did your mom come to graduation? Oh, yeah. My mother came down, my grandma and my stepfather that I, I consider my father, John, um, came down to the graduation and, um, you know, I was already saying yes, ma'am. And, you know, tucking my shirt in and opening the door and those kind of things that grandpa taught me was just ringing through, um, you know, in my, in my uniform. Um, but they were very proud of me. And, and, uh, my grandpa was very proud of me. He didn't make it down, but he'd always call, tell every waitress in the, in the restaurant, Hey, look, my son's, he's a soldier. He's in the army and grandma would say he's in the Marines, Bob. 
You know, my <laughs> grandpa was in the World War II, and he, I think he would just said that at a, like, you know, just he was an honorary guy, you know. Just messing with you. But, uh, you know, there is something yeah. about the, uh, you know, the Marines that I know, um, about the, uh, you know, the dress blues and the Marine Corps, that uniform is really cool. You know, and there's a lot that goes into, you said, 220 years of history. And uh, obviously it made you proud and happy. And, and where did you go for your first duty station? I ended up at Camp Pendleton. I got stationed as an administrator with an artillery unit. So I got to learn all about artillery. And my enthusiasm just kind of carried through where they kicked me out of the office. And all of a sudden I was a CO's driver or I was a company gunnery sergeant, like squirrel running around doing everything out in the field. And I got to learn how hard the gun rocks work out there on, on the line, the batteries, the firing batteries, throwing 100-pound rounds around. It was quite, quite uh, exciting to learn. I didn't have to go spend my time in this little hellhole in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, to get that privilege. Um, so I had a lot of respect for the artillery and got to grow up in the division, which is more like where you keep your nose not, no higher than your behind than it already is. Uh, you kind of learn that side of the Marine Corps that every Marine should get a taste of. I mean, every side is great and has amazing jobs to do, but the division really keeps us, you know, that's like the historical tradition of the Marine Corps, the first, second, third Marine divisions. That's, you know? pretty, that's pretty cool. You know, I've heard, you know, that there's this rivalry between, you know, the West Coast Marines versus the East Coast Marines. Is there any truth to that? There is, unfortunately. I was bringing Big Macs in the Veterans Hospital, and this old Marine in his bed, he could barely move. He goes, where were you born? I'm like, oh, great, here we go. <laughs> you know, because they call us Hollywood Marines and then Paris Island. In that he, he goes, if you're a real Marine, you're from Paris Island. I'm like, sir, would you like this Big Mac or not? <laughs> and he took the hamburger, which I snuck in the VA hospital. But it's all good folklore kind of thing, you know, between Marines. And... um you know, if anything, Camp Pendleton doesn't have the sand fleas, but we have the sand in the mountains. They just have the hills, but they also have the humidity out there in South Carolina. So make no mistake, you know? though. I mean, I, I mean, a Marine is a Marine no matter where they're trained. Absolutely. So so Camp Pendleton, you're in artillery. What else did you do? I know that, you know, all Marines are riflemen first. Is that true? Absolutely. Um, we do some advanced, we call it Marine Corps co combat training, um, but they used to bring every Marine through the School of Infantry. And so all Marines went through the basic grunt school before they went off to their next MOS school, whatever that school might have been. I don't know why they changed that. Maybe they shouldn't have, but they did. So, But we did get some you know, basics. Uh, land navigation took me forever. I'll be honest with you. I'm a rock, but I'm a motivated rock. And um, from there, from I went to Okinawa, Japan as an administrator, and I got stationed with the wing. So I got to learn how hard those guys work on the flight lines. And I got selected to be a protocol chief for a general. So I got to see it from the top as far as leadership goes. When the Sergeant Major didn't throw his butt on the deck, I sure as heck wasn't going to allow anyone else to do that kind of thing. And I got to drive some big wigs, Sergeant Major and his uh, company around the island. And um, I really enjoyed Okinawa. It was a year tour that most Marines do. Unfortunately, the other branches get to go to more illustrious, you know, bases like Germany and Europe and whatnot. That's pretty cool. You know, so, it's, you know, so you're actually getting a pretty well-rounded experience here, you know, from the generals on down. You know, what, what kind of advice could you give to somebody, a young person out there listening that's contemplating the Marine Corps? 
advice for basic training? What could you tell them? Run, run, and then run some more. You know, you don't have to go buy a bunch of gear. You don't have to go get fancy. Just do some push-ups, some leg lifts, some sit-ups, some pull-ups, and run, and run, and run. You know, the better shape you can be for any any of the branches, any boot camp, if you can go there with physical fitness, then you get to sharpen your mind, and you become a better Marine, a better soldier, you know, because you're going to be able to learn all the other things that you're supposed to learn, and you're not dragging behind because you need to get physically fit to be able to handle the, the endurance training that they do on, on all levels. And I believe that goes for any boot camp, you know, and you have to really invest in yourself. You might not have invested in yourself in high school, but you better get snapped to it and invest in yourself and, and understand that, you know, peer pressure is there. It's always going to be there. But when you make that commitment, you know, you're not going to do drugs. You know, you're going to do certain things a certain way. You're going to be held to a much higher level of accountability than any other young person in this country would ever be. And I know that we can only learn so much through others and through safety stand downs and lectures. Sometimes people have to find out for themselves, but by then it's too late and you're not going to be any more of a Marine. They're going to send you home in a heartbeat. Yeah. They don't so, have to fool around with any mayhem, you know, definitely some great advice there. You know, so where did, where did you go after Okinawa? The Marine Corps recruit depot where I was born just a few years earlier. Wow. I, I switched over from uh, administration to legal and I got to um, help people, unfortunately, with like divorces and adoptions and all sorts of civil, like legal stuff. Um, it's funny that ladies would come in filing for divorce, and then I'd see them at this, the club later on running away when they saw me because they knew where I worked. It was kind of funny. But, anyways, hmm. so um, I really enjoyed being stationed in San Diego, you know, stumbling distance from the, from the, the, the downtown area, which was wonderful. That was a quick tour. It seems like it just goes by so fast, you know. I wish I could go backwards just a little bit. If I blink two more times, what will I be like forty or something? Yeah, I'm I just think, kidding. Like fifty. I but, think um, I'm almost. Over, I mean, I'm way over the hill, man. I'm going to be sixty this year. Are you kidding me? 60, wow, well, man. you know, it sound like the thirty-five. You know, <laughs> like live and kicking. You know, enthusiasm, motivation. Um, but from uh, the depot, um, I went to. Uh, I got selected to be a protocol chief for, a, well, as you were, I got selected to be an assistant to the top defense attorney for the Marine Corps in D.C. And that's what took me there. I, I got in, you know connected with the Korean War Commemoration Committee, was doing a lot of volunteer work. And when I was in San Diego, I fed the homeless. I helped put together some really great programs that I left with charities and then bounced. I didn't need a charity to make things happen. You know, like I saw a need. I made a few phone calls. We whipped it on. Granted, they didn't let me bring the homeless in the chow hall to eat. They didn't allow me to cook food in the chow hall, but I made it happen and put together a Christmas Eve dinner while I was down there in, in uh, Pacific Beach, which is a neat little area in downtown San Diego. Awesome. But, um, so then I, I rolled over to um, the D.C., Land of Opportunity, amazing place. I was there looking for the snipers. I was searching for the intern that went missing. I uh, just had a meeting was walking up the hill to have a meeting with First Sergeant Henderson Hall, saw the plane fly by the building, then the ground shook, we heard the explosion, ran down, did what we would be allowed to do, and um, essentially spent like three days digging through the rubble, bringing out bodies, I call it providing closure for victims' families. You know, when that event happened, you know, obviously everybody in the world that was alive then and was coherent knows where they were at when 9-11, you know, that attack against the U.S., but... 
you know, what was it like, you know, did you, did you understand what was going on or did anybody understand what was going on? Well, I didn't know New York had been hit. I didn't hear that until I was down at the grounds at the Pentagon and we heard there's another plane coming. And at that time I felt like, okay, this is some kind of an attack. This is, and I felt it was more of a terrorist thing, you know, um, at that point. And then we heard about the, the, the plane in, in, uh, Pennsylvania. So we keep hearing these tidbits and they, they said a plane's coming. So people started to run from the Pentagon as we were setting up triage and we set up a fence line. And, um, you know, obviously that plane didn't make it, but, um, it was mayhem. The FBI came out of nowhere, crime scene back away from the building, like crime scene my behind, you know, it was just, it was a very intense time. The army said they were in charge, you know, we stood our ground and a major got the commandant to allow us to stay there and do what we felt the calling was to do. And our training kicked in and is what it is for a reason, because we don't re- we just react to the circumstances. Some people couldn't handle it, you know, um, going through the wreckage because it was very tight, claustrophobic type scenario. Um, pitch black in the wreckage during the day. And just my training is what got me through, I believe. Well, you know, you mentioned the uh, the Korean War Memorial, which is pretty a great memorial. I mean, if you if you haven't been to Washington D.C., it's one of those that you. I mean, obviously Washington D.C. is full of memorials, but that's one that's really touching. And then, you know, the Pentagon Memorial. I've been up there twice. You know, since that event and since they reconstructed to see what it's like. And you know, when you're when you're, I call it hallowed ground. You know, Arlington's one thing, mm-hmm. and but you know, when you're there at the Pentagon and you see the way that it's set up it's it's very you know it evokes a feeling and you know you mentioned america and how proud you are but it does it, it evokes this feeling of immense uh humility and honor and uh yeah i'm just glad that you were there to to you know to, to be able to help out in the, in the manner in which you did how long were you um how many years did you spend in the united states marine corps right under 16 so then when you ETS, did you get out? Were you in Were you in D.C. when you ETS? Because I know what you're doing now uh, is pretty yeah. cool, you know. Yeah, you no, haven't... actually, I was um, in 29 Palms. Um, so I've been doing this from wherever the Marine Corps put me. It started in D.C. And then I got stationed in 29. Well, actually, I got, I got out in Camp Pendleton. I'm sorry. But I went to 29 Palms from D.C. and then down to Camp Pendleton. And I've been making it, I've been taking leave, doing whatever I need to do to get back there every year because of what it meant to people um, and what it has like grown to mean to so many walks of life I would never have imagined. Well, let's talk about that, Tim. Let's talk about the saluting Marine. Tell us about the idea and how it got started and, uh, and tell us about it. Well, I was a partner with the Korean War Commemoration Committee, and I had a display. It's kind of neat when I reach old, like, veterans or visitors that remembered me right by the Korean War Monument with a big parka on and a bunch of um, posters I put on poster board to educate people about the Korean War as a partner with the Korean War Commemoration Committee. And I spent three days toasted over 60 bottles of sparkling apple cider with people honoring the Korean War veterans. Learned a lot about the Korean War, and I thought next year I'm coming out in my blues because it's a very emotional place, and I should be out there greeting people and uh, thanking them for their service, learning about their life, 
learning about stories that never make it, made it back to the command post, so it never got put on a declaration of any way, shape, or form, but it's going to our grave, so I call that history also. So I'm just walking around endlessly, and I'm, I noticed, you know, the bikers, I didn't exactly know what it was about, but I knew that they were primarily veterans doing this ride. That's what I saw, and I came out in my blues also to thank veterans, you know, for their service, and not just when I bury them. I salute them. But, I mean, that's what prompted me to jump off the curb because it's all these veterans zooming by. I'm not going to be able to reach all of them, all of them. So, you know, I salute them when they die. Why can't I salute them while they're still alive? And so I just jumped down the street, popped up the salute. And, and that's like the mascot in me surfacing again, you know, because I, I was all over town in the Fox costume. I was all over the place. I just wasn't at the varsity Friday night football game kind of thing, you know? So I jumped down the curb, popped up a salute. The bikes kept coming. I saw some tears going down their faces and then time went by and I'm like, what did I get myself into? Cause I'm starting to feel a little pain in my arm. Then it went longer and longer and people started cheering and the bikers started revving up their motorcycles. Later did I find out that some of the bikers had to pull over after they passed by me because they couldn't drive any further because they couldn't see cause they were crying. It was very emotional. And when the last biker uh, rolled around me, it's cops. So when I know when the cops come around that Lincoln monument, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I made it. You know, like that was the end of the ride. So then I um, dropped my salute and both sides of the street rushed me and said, Maureen, thank you for giving me my welcome home. And I've heard this from Vietnam and Korea. So that kind of made it my moral post to be there the next year. In the first few years, no one knew my name. I kind of liked it because there was no pressure. Like, I would see unidentified Marines, salute spikers in Washington, D.C., in the Marine Corps Times. Then it went from them getting to know who I was. They found me, and they would say, they'd say my name when they drove by, and that was cool. But now it's like everyone expects me to be there, and so there's a certain pressure there that, you know um, – that like they sometimes they go, are you going to be there this year? I'm like, do you think I have a, ch a choice necessarily? You know. So it was just a whim. I was by the seat of my pants. I just got inspired and thought, how can I reach these people? What year was that? The first year, 2002. 2002. So this year is going to be 16 years, 17 years. Yes. That's absolutely amazing. You know, I commend you for that and. Wow. So, and I know that we're doing some things behind the scenes here to work together for this year's event, but, you know, out of all the years that you, you know, that you've been doing this and, and you know, it's going to continue because now you've already, you've signed it up, you signed up for it. Um, it, it. Can you pick out one instance or one year or maybe a couple of years that something unique, unique happened and that you can remember that really touched your soul? Well, I, I, I just know as a leader, as a person that really cares how to make it special for everyone that comes up to me in the middle of the street, kids come up, they salute me. I turn them around. I have them salute with me and I tell them why I'm saluting these bikers because I'm also saluting patriots that are making a ride in honor of our prisoners of war and missing in action. And I'll salute a patriot. Like we salute our commander in chief, same qualification as far as I'm concerned. But, um, so this gentleman, Sean Adams, Marine, uh, double amputee, came out, saluted me in a wheelchair as the bikes were rolling around us. I saluted him and gave him a hug, and then he respectfully went back to the side of the street, and I hollered at him, stand with me, Marine. 
and he came back out in the middle of the street and I put him in front of me, put my hand on his shoulder and we both saluted for a while. So that was an amazing, another year, a kid kneeled down in front of me. I had a weapon with boots in front of me and um, he said a prayer. Little did I know later that he lost his dad in the war. Well, he came back the next year, jumped off his grandpa's bike and I didn't have the weapon in front of me and he kneeled again and I kneeled with him to reinforce his courage to practice his own faith. He just showed up out of nowhere and disappeared. A few years ago, President Bush, he invited me over for breakfast the next day. His chief of staff called my cell phone Sunday evening after the salute. So I got to bring my grandmother to the White House. We met Bush and had breakfast, and he sent us each a picture and sent my command a letter about reinforcing the good that I was doing and how important that was. So that was very monumental, coming from a small town, middle of nowhere, get invited to the White House. And on top of it all, though it's not about, it was never really about me. It was neat when things would pop up on newspapers, but it's more about my family. I get this stuff back to my family. That's what it means more to me than me personally, because I got to take my grandmother with me to the White House. You know, that was huge for us from being from a small town. I got, you know, kin that have fallen off the beaten path. You know, and it's more for them. It's more for my mother that has to deal with all the kids, right? So anything good I can bring home, that's the win for me. On top of knowing and learning what it means to people, even yourself, you know, you've shared what that means to you. And that means the world to me. It humbles me and it empowers me to pull this off again, to continue to march, to stand, you know, in honor of so many people. I just never thought it would like represent that even like it's emulating something that America loses sight of, which is respect and compassion, which all servicemen and women have. You know, it's, it's, um, it's definitely great in the way that you spell that out because, you know, we do tend to forget and, and it's amazing. You know, you and I have talked offline, but I, I know where your heart is at and everybody knows. And, you know, it's amazing how great, this country truly is and you know i'd like the listeners to know that the rest of the world does not live like we do here in america and so often without passing judgment so often we lose sight of things that we take for granted you know people would give anything to have the things we take for granted and most of the time and they're still wearing the uniform they're still all over the world you know protecting what we hold so dear and vital the men and women who have worn the uniform from revolutionary war on up to today's modern days have sacrificed so much for us to be able to enjoy these things and 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 it's not cliche and when you do things like the saluting marine and i know when you do things like that it's an opportunity for us to remember who we are it's okay to be americans and it's okay to be proud of, of our country's history because without a history like ours, we would never have the things that a lot of people take for granted. Yeah, and, it, you know, we all have a story to tell. What's, what's interesting about Americans, and we can say this quite candidly, is we all have a story to tell. And there is a common lineage with all of us. Whoever our ancestors are, and if we're a first-generation American, they came here or you came here for something better. And America, whether people want to believe it or not, 
still offers the world a beacon of hope to come here to enjoy these freedoms and to be proud of who we are and to realize that they were made and came with a high cost. Um, when I think of the Marine Corps, I think of Iwo Jima and, uh, you know, and battles like that. And, oh my gosh, I mean, and, and the list of them goes on and the brothers and sisters who never made it home, we can never forget them. So I got to tell you, Tim, I, I, I commend you. You make me proud of being a, who I am and being an American and, and it is humility and, and power to you, brother. I, I appreciate that. You know, what I'd like to do is, you know, uh, let you tell people how they can take part, how they can help, what they need to do, and what they, what they can do. And then uh, can you give us some of that? <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, I have a website, this thesalutingmarine.com. You know, I don't have, I try to keep it updated. I have a Saluting Marine Facebook page as well. I'm doing a salute across America tour, and we're going and reaching um, homebound veterans. We're going to like 16 cities on my way to do what might be the last salute in Washington, D.C. at Rolling Thunder. Um, but, you know, along the way, I've seen, you know, some basic needs, and I've helped a few veterans with unaffordable dental. And I have a clinic outside of Tampa, Florida, that will take veterans and we can get them help there, and they can get some dental work done. And after June, they'll be able to get dentures done, which I'm very excited because that is a huge thing with the older veterans that makes it more feasible to try to help them with their dental work because it gets very, very expensive, I've been learning. I've kind of been a lone wolf. I've just whooped it on. You know, I, I, we're, I'm looking for sponsors for the tour, but we're going to do the tour regardless, just like I've made it back east every year in my own dime regardless. Because I feel that it, that's what I need to do. I, I'm still around. I, I'm able. So I can still serve my country. And I feel like I'm serving it in that regard. Um, but just follow. And, you know, if there are any companies out there that want to be plastered on a bus and put on some memorabilia and, and noted and, and kind of travel with me, it's going to be very emotional. When people realize that I'm, I'm that guy, they get very emotional. And um, it's always different. It's never the same to me whatsoever. So, you know, just follow. Eventually, I'll have children's books where the kids can raise the flag and pull the arm up and pull the motorcycles by. At least that's my vision, um, because we need more of the stories in books for children. Single-parent homes, biggest growing families. And I feel that there's a void there that the teachers have to take all by the, on by themselves on top of the lesson, you know. So I really care a lot about that. I care about our youth. Um, I care about our veterans marching forward. And I really appreciate everyone that's come to the aid of the uh, post-9-11 veterans, especially. Um, I do stand for all generations of veterans, but um, we're so fortunate to have some of those older veterans leading the way to make sure that the men and women that are coming home are appreciated and you're giving them some direction and support so they can march forward on their own, just like the older veterans did without anything, without any, anyone to give them a hand up. So, you know, I, I salute in honor of that by all means. Well, so what are the dates for this event, Tim? We're going to start like around the 28th of April and we're going it, to, it, it, I'm not sure. I don't think I actually have it posted on, on the, on the, the website, but I do have it on, on Facebook, all of the dates. We're going to go through Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, up to Virginia, up to Boston, back down to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and then um, 
pretty much end it at my salute. But right before that, we're going to spend some time up at Gettysburg. Incredible. And then uh, D.C. and hold that salute, be there. I'm trying to think of ways to make it even more special with this being the last year. A lot of people like to come out in the middle of the street and take pictures and it kind of gets in the way of me trying to pay my respects to the bikers rolling by. And and as awkward as this may sound, it just really has strung a chord. Um, And it is fitting and it is deserving. You know, these aren't just bikers. These are American patriots. Many of them are veterans. And I just have to pay my respects to them. And hopefully they'll do even more in our society and and make it a better place. That's incredible work. You know, so shifting real quickly, you know, what, what do you, if you could say something to non-veterans out there, what would you want them to know about veterans? You know, our country is founded on two breeds, veterans and patriots. And we need those citizens in the ranks just as much as we need veterans Um, You know, for veterans, um, I don't think society is really embracing them in the corporate world. Um, I think it's a look good check in the box. We need to do more. We need to understand that what that the loyalty that's coming to the table, the willingness to put your name on the dotted line for a contract of time is not a very common thing found in, in in the workplace. But veterans are willing to make that kind of commitment. Veterans are willing to get the mission accomplished. And then troop welfare, they're willing to put the job before themselves. And I think that gets lost in the shuffle when it comes across from recruiter to recruiter to the company that never even gets to know that, oh my gosh, this veteran might've applied at their company. Um, But we got to remember the families. So there's a lot of families left behind. Even if the veteran came home, I still feel that citizens need to recognize those mothers, those fathers, those wives, those children that are left behind. And, you know, there's a Medal of Honor recipient that's doing a Gold Star um, monument. He's trying to get these all over the country. Um, he's a Marine from Iwo Jima. Um, and it's just, you know, we got we to gotta thank the, the families. You know, not just when we have to knock on their door and say, you know, I'm sorry to inform you. Um, and just keep rocking it, man. Honor their service every day with you, you taking care of yourself, taking care of your family, you know, marching forward in our great society, taking advantage of the great opportunities, knowing where it came from, who allowed for it to happen, and, and treat it with that kind of respect. Don't step on graves. Have your opinion in society. But remember that lives were lost doing something for you to have that opinion. So don't step on the graves, honor the flag, you know, add something to the flag. Don't take it out on the flag. Take it out on the public figures that we've hired that sometimes don't do the right job or don't do what they said they were going to do. That's who we need to be upset with. It's not the flag's fault. And the flag represents the sacrifice and all the amazing citizens that made our country better. So that's one thing I want them to take is to honor the flag and add something to the flag. Wow. That's definitely some great words, inspirational. And, you know, let me ask you this. So if there's a, if there's a listener out there, a man or a woman, young person who has worn the uniform, and they've transitioned out of the military and they're in a bad place. You know, Tim, what kind of advice can you give to them? This is the most sensitive topic, you know, because I've not been to war and there's credibility that comes with that. So how could you even fathom or understand? But I was in the ranks for so long that, you know, I embraced my own family members, meaning fellow Marines. And 
you fought, you fought hard. A lot died fighting. And this comes kind of from a gold star mother's perspective as well. Um, she had to stand up for her son that died fighting. You, you, you go down in flames fighting. You don't give up because then you don't allow the sacrifice of our brothers and sisters to go in vain. So when you're at the, the end of it, man, give, give someone a call. There's someone out there. Even the saluting Marine is out there and he's available. And, you know, reach out to someone because I bet you their, 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 their position might even be shittier than yours, you know, essentially. So we have to live in honor of the sacrifice because no one else is going to when it comes down to it. And we got to honor that eternal sacrifice and not let it go in vain, fall back in the ranks, march forward, and don't let the enemy at the end of the day win. All right. Like the way you put that, what does freedom mean to you? That I get to be Tim. I get to be this crazy animal, this Marine veteran. I get, I get to go reach for the stars. I, I get to do whatever I want to do. And, and all I got to do is get off my butt and do it and have a little bit of initiative. And that's all that it takes. You know, there's no bureaucracy to go do what you want to do. You might hit that once you get to that one pillar of what you want to do, but you're, I can do anything I want to do. And it's all because of the men and women that went, went before me, that went over and over and over again, that are still in our ranks, that are buried at Arlington and every national cemetery all over the country. I can breathe. I breathe fresh air, and that's freedom. Fresh air, sunshine. I like that, too. Freedom is fresh air. Well, I got to say, I'm, I love the story, the Silver Fox and how you help keep your family together when your dad wasn't there at the beginning and all the things that you've done since then, the inspiration, the motivation you give to others is certainly real. It's authentic, Tim. You can tell. That's what makes you so special, and that makes the work that you do so special. And, you know, anybody listening, you know, this is United States Marine Corps NCO Tim Chambers, the saluting Marine here with us today on Straight Outta Combat. And uh, he needs help. They need help. The veterans who he helps, you know, needs as much support as, as you can give. So if you're listening, you know, go to the salutingmarine.com. There's places there where you can help. And, you know, hopefully you can make it to D.C. this year, one of those 16 towns. I'm sure you guys will have the schedule up. And to see Tim on what he's saying is the final journey, we we don't know that. But, you know, maybe it's not, you know, maybe somebody picks up the torch and carries on the great work that you've started. But I got to tell you, Tim, thank you for being here today and giving me 45 minutes, an hour of your time. And we look forward at Green Zone Hero to helping out as much as we can this year as you make your trek. Uh, again, you keep saying it's the final year. You don't know that. We don't know that, Tim. But we want to be part of it. And we feel so very blessed to have been um part of this conversation today thank you tim oh my pleasure my pleasure you gotta light them up before they burn it down thank you for listening to another episode of straight out of combat radio audio medicine from green zone hero if you liked what you heard then tell others about us like us and download us and please remember freedom is not free and combat veterans are vital assets they're not broken. <laughs> <laughs>